Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This podcast is dedicated to all those out there who have osteoarthritis, aka crumbly joints. On the show, we unpack the truth and demystify the myths about the disease and its management. If you have joint pain and want to know more about how to manage it from the world's best experts, you've come to the right place. Without further ado, it is time to welcome your host, David Hunter. Hello and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This week we have the privilege of discussing what capabilities should a healthcare professional managing osteoarthritis possess. For someone who has osteoarthritis, they may visit a wide range of clinicians to seek help with the management of their disease including primary care physicians, allied health professionals, and specialists. At this point, numerous studies have demonstrated that the care that people with osteoarthritis receive is quite variable and frequently inconsistent with that recommended in most guidelines. One factor that likely contributes to the quality of care received by people with osteoarthritis is the capability of their healthcare workforce to deliver appropriate care. The purpose of this episode of Joint Action is to provide an overview of this complex and important area and identify what capabilities healthcare professionals that manage people with osteoarthritis should possess. We're joined by none other than Rana Hinman and Martin van der Esch. Professor Rana Hinman from the University of Melbourne is a research physiotherapist and an expert in the field of osteoarthritis. Rana's research focuses on conservative non-drug management of musculoskeletal conditions, particularly knee and hip osteoarthritis, with an emphasis on the role of exercise and biomechanics in both prevention and management. And Martin van der Esch is a research physiotherapist, manual therapist, epidemiologist and teacher. And his position is at the School of Physiotherapy, University of Applied Sciences for Health Professionals, Amsterdam. And his research focuses on conservative non-drug management of musculoskeletal conditions, including osteoarthritis, with an emphasis on the role of knee instability in both onset and progression of osteoarthritis and associated activity limitations. Rana and Martin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Absolutely, my pleasure. Uh, different, different times, obviously. Um, and Rana, you're a, 
obviously experiencing some lockdowns in, in Melbourne and Martin in Amsterdam. It sounds like you're opening up a little bit. We are opening. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Well, I hope uh, that we'll get to see each other face to face in the not too distant future. But in, in the interim, thank you very much for taking the time out to chat about this. And, and in the first instance, what I'd like to do is uh, just to get you expressing who you are a little bit more so the listeners can get to know you. But Rana, maybe if you'd like to go first, if you had to describe yourself in five words, what would they be? Mm, probably researcher, physio, mum of two daughters and mum of a dog as well. <laughs> so very, very proud dog owner and love walking my dog. That's uh, very creative. What sort of dog? Labradoodle. Yeah. What colour? Chocolate brown. Oh, I should show you a picture of our Alice. It sounds like they're exactly the same. Really? Yeah. Martin, when you're doing your day job, can you tell me a little bit more about what it is that you do? I'm doing research 70% uh, of my time. So meaning uh, doing research in rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis and um, finding out the relationship between biomechanical factors and the development and progression of osteoarthritis. Um, my main focus is also on gait analysis and finding out if biomechanical factors are uh, also really important risk factors for uh, osteoarthritis. On the other hand, in the rheumatoid arthritis world, I'm looking for changes in the physical performance of people and particularly uh, about their fear to max so their physical fitness uh, because we don't know much about physical fitness in rheumatoid arthritis patients so this 70 percent of my work is really doing research and 30 percentage is uh, seeing patients uh, every monday and tuesday morning these are mostly complex patients in the rehabilitation center where i work because these patients all have comorbidity. They have the index disease like knee osteoarthritis, but also other comorbidities. And um, I'm advising them, the rheumatologists and the rehabilitation doctors about uh, aims and treatments. Brilliant, thank you. Um, Rana, when you're not doing your day job, what do you like to do? Uh, again, it doesn't need to be right now when it sounds like you're a little bit more confined, but. Yeah, under normal circumstances, I probably like getting out of the house, getting out, catching up with friends, quite like cooking when I've got time to do it and I'm not kind of in a rush imposed, imposed upon. I seem to spend a lot of time being a taxi driver. I've got two, two girls aged 15 and 12 and they seem to have very busy social lives and sporting calendars. So a lot of my time seems to be spent working out how I can have time that fits around what they do. Sounds, sounds brilliant. So thank you very much for sharing that with us. And now we'll probably get onto the content area of the day. Obviously, what capabilities should healthcare professionals who manage osteoarthritis possess? But in the first instance, just to provide a little bit of background, Martin, what evidence is there that people with osteoarthritis don't receive appropriate care? There is a lot of evidence, uh, not only in, in the Netherlands, but all over the world. There are several studies done showing that people uh, have only for 30 or 40 percentage 
proper, properly care. Last month in the Netherlands, there was a very important uh, report about sensible care for people with knee and hip osteoarthritis. And from that study, that was a study from uh, three, uh, 2014 till 2017, only 34% of the people get uh, proper care just before surgery on the hip of knee was done. Also, on the pharmaceutical part, that um, there was not proper care in, in getting the right and enough non-steroid anti-inflammatory drugs. So it's really a very actual problem and our government is having have noticed this. And so there are plans to how to change this. Fantastic, yeah, it sounds like a, a terrible problem around the world. Um, so with regards the care that they do receive, Rana, what are the major deficiencies? There's a few problems in the in the care that people do receive, and you can probably group it into to two kind of categories, if you like. One is the the sorts of things that get overused, so used more than they actually should be. And we know that things such as imaging and using x-rays or MRI, for example, to whether it be assist with the diagnosis or just as routine imaging in patients are used far more than they really should. We know that, in fact, you don't actually need imaging for, for most cases of diagnosis. And the problem with when we overuse imaging, it often leads to unnecessary referrals to orthopaedic surgeons, for example. And then often when people make it to orthopaedic surgeons, and particularly when they've got imaging in hand, we can see overuse of surgical procedures. And the real big worry in this space is overusing arthroscopy, which is a, a scope, or what people might think of as a, a knee scope or an arthroscope, which we know is actually not really effective for people with OA. Or often people quickly going on to having a joint replacement when they haven't really tried appropriate non-surgical care. So, the, you know, Martin just talked about lots of research from around the world, and we know that the vast minority of people really only offered education and exercise. So even though we know that exercise and education and advice to self-manage your condition is the most important things that people should be doing with OA, in fact, the, the research evidence suggests less than 40% of people are actually being offered those types of treatment strategies. And so that's a real problem when we see people being pushed off really quickly towards surgical procedures and they haven't really been given the opportunity to try things such as exercise or weight loss if they need it. Brilliant. No, great explanation. And so obviously one of the elements that potentially contributes to that increase of low value or inappropriate care and lack of appropriate care is the fact that clinicians might lack knowledge or skills in the area to appropriately manage that. What evidence is there that that may be the case, Martin? Again, there are several studies done that 57% of the people who are not receiving the appropriate care, uh, that was based uh, on, on yeah, a lack of knowledge of the, the health providers. So that means that knowledge is one of the main reasons that they are not getting the right care. Many uh, health providers say that they, are, they know the guidelines or the recommendations, so they know it, but they don't have implemented that in their daily care. So uh, I think that's, that's one of the main reasons that we see that people are undertreated. 
And, and David, I'd probably just add to that as well, that this is a, a phenomenon that's not just there in clinicians, you know, qualified clinicians that are out there now. We've also done some research looking at what, what we often think of as the emerging health workforce. So what, what about the students that are soon to graduate and be the, the next generation of healthcare providers? And certainly even amongst students, and, and I'm talking about physiotherapy students, primary care nurses, general practitioners, even, even those that emerging workforce has concerns about their knowledge to manage OA. Um, and also, even if they do have the knowledge, a lot of these people or a lot of clinicians often lack confidence. So they might know what to do, but they don't know how to do it well, and they're not confident to do that. Yeah, I may add something to that. Last year, we did a, a, a little kind of study in the Netherlands about um, what do students, physiotherapy, occupational and nursing uh, students know about osteoarthritis? How many hours are they educated? It's unbelievable less. So that means that uh, students are not educated very well. It's not really a part of the, of the curriculum, also not from the medical curriculum. So it sounds like there's a, a lot of deficiencies and as a, potentially as a consequence of that, but maybe, maybe other reasons. Um, Rana, what are some of the common misconceptions about osteoarthritis that healthcare professionals portray that could influence the management of osteoarthritis? I think uh, uh, one of the, the big areas is the way I think that health professionals talk about osteoarthritis with their patients. And a lot of this, sometimes it's, it's not intentional. It's just the way that health professionals may have been taught and trained to talk in a very, um, what we would call biomedical approach. So, so using very medical language that might be very focused on body structures and physiology and what's damaged and what's not working properly and using using terms and words that aren't quite accurate for osteoarthritis. So I'm sure lots of the listeners will have heard and may actually even think of their own condition as wear and tear or degeneration and using those sorts of words which really set up in, um, in a patient's mind this belief that it's a, a downward a downward slippery slope if you like that the joint is going to wear away and degenerate and there's actually nothing that you can do and that it's inevitable and that really the joint may may well wear away and eventually need surgery so i think a lot of this is the way that clinicians talk about about the condition with their patient I think oftentimes clinicians are intending to do the right thing in discussing x-ray reports or perhaps even putting up the x-ray on the, on the screen. Um, you can think about how often you go into, into a health professional's rooms and there's a little model of a knee joint or a hip joint on the desk that the, the clinician uses to point out the, where the problems in the joint might be. But all of these strategies reinforce um, some quite negative beliefs um, in, in the patient's mind um, and particularly set people up to thinking, well, there's nothing I can do about my condition and I need something that's going to fix what's happening in my joint. I need an injection. I need a, a silver bullet. I need surgery. And I think those sorts of things can be really quite harmful and not intentionally, but it really does influence how well a patient will engage and be feel confident to self-manage their condition effectively. That's a great explanation. And I'm sure a lot of that will ring very true for a lot of the listeners who are out there. Now, that's obviously just really helpful preamble. 
for us to get in and talk a little bit about some of the work that um, both of you have been leading in this area. And so Martin, I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit about what is a core capability? Oh, that was this is a very difficult question on the other hand, but <laughs> we discussed a lot about that and I, I'm going to read it because the, it's, 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 it's a beautiful definition. A capability may be defined as an integration of knowledge, skills, personal qualities and understanding used appropriately and effectively and not just in a familiar and highly focused specialist context, but in response to new and changing circumstances. This is a, a, a huge definition, which is very complicated. Uh, but I think when we bring it back to simple words, it means that we have uh, a person who has integrated knowledge and skills and his own personal qualities in the care of uh, of taking care of that specific patient. If a uh, uh, health professional is telling the patient that his cartilage is degenerated and it is in cartilage disease, you understand that the knowledge is not enough because we are always talking about the total joint disease. Um, when you are telling, and I'm, I'm uh, adding this to the words Rana told just before, that you say, okay, I'm going to put a new knee uh, in, in you. So you have a new joint. Now it's a replaced joint. These words are very important how to say that to the patients. So yeah, a capability and a core capability is really that people have enough knowledge and skills and, and, and personal qualities. So have behavior to treat it in the right way. Brilliant. That's quite a mouthful and I'm pleased uh, yes. that you, you got that out um, because I, I'm pretty sure I could see Rana there smiling as you were asked that question. <laughs> Rana, not letting you go by. You've obviously done with Martin and others quite a lot of work in this area. Can you just briefly tell us about the research that it is that you've been doing? Yeah, so I guess taking on from what, what Martin just said, we basically set about to, with a research project to work out a bit of a laundry list, if you like, about the types of things that clinicians need to know about OA and the types of things they need to be able to do to manage or to help a person with osteoarthritis most effectively. So what do they need to know and what do they need to be able to do? And this list of, of skills or capabilities, if you like, we set out to, to be very, um, using the word, transdisciplinary. So to cover all so sorts of clinicians that might be involved, because we know that people with OAC lots of different clinicians, whether it be their general practitioner, a rheumatologist, a physiotherapist, a podiatrist. So what are the, what are the common skills and knowledge that these sorts of clinicians need to know? And so that's what we set out to do. And we aim to also make it an international framework so it wasn't just uh, reflective. Obviously, I'm, I'm Australian. We're, we're doing this interview here in Australia, but Martin's on the other side of the world and, and together we led this research project and we had a lot of international input into that. And so the whole idea was that by doing this project and coming up with this, this sort of laundry list of skills and knowledge, it could be then used by individual clinicians who would be able to look at that list and reflect themselves on what they know, perhaps what they're not so confident on, what perhaps they're not so skills they may not be so confident at doing 
and help direct them into areas for where they might seek professional development to really upskill in those areas. And obviously a, a list of skills or a capability framework like this is really helpful for, for universities um, and educators who are involved in training doctors and physios and primary care nurses in being able to teach them the skills that they need to manage um, people really effectively. Brilliant. Martin, can you tell me a little bit about the broad areas of capabilities that were identified and if you'd like to expand on that and any key capabilities that address the core deficiencies in current osteoarthritis management that you might like to emphasize? Yeah, there are some, uh, say, five, six um, main capabilities. Um, so we think that people, uh, if they are talking with, with patients, they should language in the proper way so that means the positive way but also explaining very clearly what they what they mean so optimistic positive and not saying your cartilage is going down or has been degenerated so your total joint is lost so that's a pretty negative way another thing is that what, what i said before the health provider should understand the diagnosis very well that it is a total joint disease and that it is really also related to other joints it is not only one joint which is affected but your total yeah, movement pattern has been changed so you have to understand the clinical symptoms very well and the other thing is there's a really a capability which is in my opinion very important that you have to make the decisions together with the patients so you have to explain very clearly what you want to do what you think that the problem is but on the other hand also not take the decision for the patient but together with that patient so i think that you can discuss that with the patient in the kind of personalized plan uh, and I think that personalized plan is for every patient a little bit different. So we ha don't have a real protocol treatment for uh, all the patients. And the other thing which came out of, of, of capabilities was that you have to support self-management of patients. If you want to change behavior, you have to, to try to, to, to change that self-management. So you have to have the capability to change behavior in patients. And that's not so simple because if I'm telling very simple, I'm going to do this, I'm going to replace your joint or et cetera, that's not really self-management. I'm going to do this for you and you have to do nothing. That's the wrong way. There are different relationships between pharmacy, drugs, exercise as the main uh, treatment, but also the surgery. That's, that's a whole complex of rehabilitation. Therefore, we made this capability framework uh, interprofessionally. So that means not for only the surgeon, not only the physios, not only the nurses, but all together. And that's the whole plan. We believe that if you are really managing patients with osteoarthritis, you ha must have the capability to communicate with all the other professions. And finally, I, I think that you should be honest to patients and say uh, there is also the possibility that uh, some interventions will harm you. For example, uh, if you have particular drugs and you have also comorbidity with heart disease, for example, be clear and explain the benefits, okay, but also the harms of the, the, the treatments. So I think this is this complex, what I'm saying. So you ask a lot of one specific person, 
but on the other hand we think that this is really within your framework as the most important parts of, of uh, yeah, uh, say educating capabilities in people. Also for students eh, you have to focus on all these aspects but maybe Rana you can add other things to this. Yeah, I guess the, one of the, the key messages is that, you know, clinicians working in this space really do need a really broad knowledge base and skill set. With our final framework, we ended up with quite a, a large list. There were 70 capabilities across 13 different areas. And so just because I'm a physiotherapist, for example, that doesn't mean that I should, I'm required to only know about exercise and perhaps things that, that a patient might typically think about as the domain of a physiotherapist. But for a clinician to, to truly help a patient develop a personalised care plan and work out what are the best treatment strategies for a given individual, the clinician really does need to know all the treatment options available, whether, whether those are treatments that they are licensed to provide themselves but at least to be being able to present those options to the patient and to be informed enough to talk about the broad pros and cons of each intervention so that a patient really can make an informed decision and be an active partner in, in making those treatment decisions and engaging in those treatments. So if we look at the capability framework, we can see that clinicians need to have a broad range of skills around assessing a patient and taking a history, so finding out what, what's bringing them to, to the consultation, but also in being able to explain a whole lot of information regarding the role of medications, the role of surgery, the role of rehabilitation and exercise and weight management. And as Martin said, one of the, the really core components to many of those areas is behaviour change. And that's because we know that there's good evidence behind exercise and physical activity and weight loss if a person is overweight. And all of those uh, treatment strategies to be effective need behaviour change. And so for a patient to change their behaviour, they need the support of a clinician to help them, to guide them in how to change behaviour and support them. So there really is a, quite a, a, a big, broad skill set and often these are the areas that clinicians have expressed that they don't have a lot of confidence in. Fantastic explanation and sounds like really important work and obviously critically important to get this out to the health professionals who are managing people with osteoarthritis. Just wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on plans for dissemination of this work. Yep, with regards to the research project itself, we published that work earlier this year in the, the journal called osteoarthritis and cartilage. So that, that work and the research project and, the, and in fact, the whole framework itself has been published now that's um, available for researchers and clinicians to read about. And because it's quite a, a bit of a, you know, reading research projects is always quite heavy going. We also put a bit of effort into creating a couple of somewhat more simplistic infographics so that clinicians can understand the the key points of the core capability framework. And certainly that can be also quite useful for patients also to sort of understand the type of skills and knowledge that their health professionals should have. We're also now moving into the phase of the, one of the really important things about this framework is using it to guide professional development and educational courses. So 
one of the the things that we're we're doing now and uh, there's a large number of people involved with this is to use the framework to help inform and professional development program around osteoarthritis so clinicians who feel like they might need some knowledge to brush up their knowledge in a particular area or upskilling in some various aspects that once we developed and, and released the, the course in the future, they'll be able to do that. The other thing that we're also trying to do is to engage with the, the various different professional groups that are sort of oversee different health professional organisations, if you like. And we're trying to do that in Australia and, and around the world and, and linked partly with the, the professional development program so that we can get their endorsement for the capability framework and so then with the hope that they'll be disseminating that through their clinician member networks to really get the, the message out there. And obviously for, for those of us who are also involved in university teaching courses, a really important part of this is getting this sort of information into university degrees so that we're making sure that we're graduating doctors and physiotherapists with all the skills that they need from the get-go so that they don't have to be um, brushing up on these skills further down the track after they've graduated. Brilliant. All right. Now, just in closing that particular topic, are there any patient-friendly resources, links, or things that I forgot to ask that you might like to share, either of you? Uh, maybe I want to add something to what Rana said. I think that in, in the way that we are going to implement this also discussing it with health providers and political governments, because Europe here, we have the European Union, and uh, they are also seeing that uh, there is a huge problem popping up, because the, the amount of people in Europe getting osteoarthritis will be double in 2030, 2040. So there is interest but um, there is also a question how can we develop very good educational systems all over Europe in the universities so they recognize the problem but they don't have a solution and there is a discussion group now started this year um, how can we do that for not only osteoarthritis but also for other chronic diseases so I think that what Rana said about universities education etc Brilliant. But on the other hand, we have also to think about the health insurance companies and the governments, how, how they can be changed in their way of thinking. And I hope that this core capability framework can help to, 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 to give a kind of direction where we have to go to. Yeah, obviously the policymakers are also critically important, as you say. What we might do now is just move on and learn a little bit about yourselves and what makes you tick and what you're thinking about and potentially martin if you'd like to go first what's the biggest challenge you have with your specific role right now and how are you going to overcome that that's a very difficult question you ask me <laughs> my biggest role uh, right now what i'm doing at the moment is that I'm trying to implement the management of osteoarthritis in the region and the city of Amsterdam. And that's a real challenge because I was thinking you can do it at a national and international level, but that, that's, that's huge. So let's start with the Amsterdam policymakers. Uh, let's start with the people who are now very active in, with the COVID uh, agenda. But on the other hand, these people are really 
in the public domain and know where in particular areas in Amsterdam people are having a lot of joint complaints, mostly the beginning of osteoarthritis. And is it possible to prevent osteoarthritis when we shift a little bit from the medical domain to the public domain? And that's a big project which is going on at the moment. And for me, it's a really challenge because I'm now going into a little bit other area. I'm not so familiar with the public domain. But if we want to prevent osteoarthritis, then we have to change the, the way of living and the behavior of, of, of people. So this is for me a very big challenge uh, at the moment. Yep. It sounds like really important work and I uh, wish you well with it. Rana, if you could do anything to improve health and healthcare, what would you do? Look, I think when we're talking about, you know, I think chronic disease is a really big problem that we're, we're facing. Obviously, we're talking about osteoarthritis here today. And I think one of the, the single biggest problems, and I'm obviously reflecting here in Australia, is that chronic disease management is not a simple quick fix. And it doesn't lend itself to, you know, we, we hear about five minute, five minute medicine or time limited episodes of care. And I think one of the, the real barriers, and certainly, um, you know, we've talked a lot about the clinician in this podcast today and perhaps what they don't know or what they're not doing as well. But what we haven't talked about is the, the environment that they work in and the policy drivers and the funding mechanisms that are in play there. So many of the times clinicians will say, well, I know what we need to do, but I'm sim simply not allowed to have enough time with my patient or I'm only allowed to see, you know, our service only lets us see them once. And that's not enough to be able to support people to change their behaviour and maintain that change behaviour over the long term. And seeing people for, you know, a couple of visits during a, you know, whilst they might have a, a flare up of pain, but not on an ongoing basis to monitor and change the program, I think is a real problem. And so maybe uh, partly while we're not seeing great outcomes for people with OA and other chronic diseases at the moment is the way that we've got the healthcare system and the funding model structured at the moment. We really need to, I think, shift the emphasis and value more, I think, the, the discussions that a patient can have with the clinician, that sort of information sharing and behaviour change support, and really shifting, I think, self-management into the centre of the consultation as opposed to getting a prescription or getting a referral or getting, um, just getting handed a sheet of exercises as you walk out the door, but you don't have any idea what to do or how to do it. For chronic disease, I think those are some of the big issues in the health system at the moment. Really thoughtful advice. And hopefully the uh, policymakers are listening to you, Rana, and they come along and they change our funding structure in our healthcare system to make these management of non-communicable diseases a lot more thoughtful and structured more proactively. Now, Martin, I, I realise it's probably about lunchtime there for you, but this is the, the, the key and central question uh, for the day for you but why do you do what you do uh, i think i can give you a simple answer because i'm curious <laughs> i think uh, if you uh, have had many people in your direct surrounding uh, having all kinds of chronic diseases including also osteoarthritis you know that there's a real problem and if you are 
able and have energy to do this, uh, this is a very interesting area. And within rheumatology, and I'm working now for more than 40 years in rheumatology, I have seen so for 20 years ago that the interest by rheumatologists in the Netherlands, but also in Europe, for osteoarthritis was not very high. Mostly all oriented, focused on rheumatoid arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, and osteoarthritis, a non-curable disease, no specific drugs. So that means that it's not a real interesting uh, area. But on the other hand, we have a lot of people with, with uh, problems in their work, in their social life. So if you can help them, yeah, this is really a, a, a drive for me to do this. Absolutely. Brilliant. And thank you so much for sharing that with us. Now, Rana, I, I know that you like to masquerade as a, a, a marketer, and I'm just wondering if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Are we talking OA or anything in person? Anything, you can make it any, anything at all. And look, this probably applies to chronic disease, but I'll make it about OA. I think it would be about um, don't be afraid of joint pain. Either that or take control of your condition. I think that, you know, the, the patient really needs to put themselves in the driver's seat and really be the one to, to, to self-manage their condition. And a big part of that is not to be afraid of joint pain because being afraid of a, of a bit of pain really does set, set a person on a, on a pathway that might not be the, the best pathway for their, for their condition. Awful advice, and I uh, hope the listeners do appreciate that. And Martin, in closing, if there's one piece of advice, knowledge or wisdom that you'd like to give to people with osteoarthritis, what might it be? Uh, I would say in one sentence, uh, keep staying active despite the doctors are telling you that your joints are worn out. So please keep staying active. It is important for your weight, it is important for your mental state, but particularly also for your joints. Very good way to finish and I think very thoughtful advice for everybody who's out there. Rana and Martin, thank you so much for the insights and value contribution. It's greatly appreciated. Thanks for having us on the show. That is all for this episode of Joint Action. If you like what you hear and want to support us, please rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Alternatively, visit the website www.jointaction.info to post a question, donate to our research, or send us some feedback. Between now and next time, please do take care of yourself, stay strong, and stay active. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, check out www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointactionorg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional.
the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. 